From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On the day's program, Chinese Vice President Han Zheng has met with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and other officials on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. The U.S. and Iran have completed a long-awaited prisoner swap. And experts say it'll take time for efforts to revive China's sluggish stock markets to take effect. In business, the conclusion of the 20th China ASEAN Expo. In sports, early action from the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, the inaugural Golden Panda Awards for film, TV, documentaries and animation. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese Vice President Han Zheng says China supports the United Nations in playing a central role in international affairs and will always contribute to world peace and development. He met with UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly in New York. The Vice President also met U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and stressed the importance of a healthy and stable relationship between the two countries. And says China hopes the United States will take actions to create favorable conditions and do more to enhance understanding, trust, and mutually beneficial cooperation. Blinken says the U.S. hopes that China will succeed and continue to promote world economic growth. He says the U.S. looks forward to strengthening communication with China, managing differences, and steadily developing relations. Leaders from 193 United Nations member countries are in New York to attend this year's General Assembly. They're discussing ways to tackle global issues, including climate change and the conflict in Ukraine. The UNGA opened with the Sustainable Development Goals Summit. Nathan King has details from New York. The Sustainable Development Goal, SDGs as they're known, the uh, uh, successor to the very successful Millennium Development Goals, which uh, reduced poverty uh, by half somewhere, uh, in a way uh, led largely by China. Uh, now, the problem with these SDGs is they're much broader in scope and the world is not meeting its targets. Halfway through this project, they're meant to be done by 2030, uh, it's not happening. So anti-Guterres using the first two days of this UN General Assembly to really say world to needs to come come together, unite and deliver on development. So the SDGs aren't just a list of goals. They carry the hopes, dreams, rights and expectations of people everywhere. And they provide the surest path to living up to our obligations and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights now in its 75th year. Yet today, only 15% of the targets are on track and many are going in reverse. It's been a busy day of diplomacy uh, for uh, China on the first day. Han Zhang, uh, the vice president of China, representing China here all week, uh, basically meeting with Antti Guterres, the UN Secretary General at uh, 
uh, his top office here at the UN Secretariat, and also meeting in a surprise uh, last-minute meeting with U.S. Secretary of State uh, Antony Blinken. Lots of other things on the agenda, of course. Climate change is slipping. We have the next COP coming up uh, in November. And obviously, there's conflict in Ukraine. Vladimir Zelensky uh, is here. Uh, he'll also be going to Washington to ask for more uh, money for weapons. But I'll tell you, especially in the global south, there's this feeling uh, that they really don't want Ukraine to dominate the UN General Assembly like it did last year. Uh, and so they will be trying to focus on the, on the development agenda, but also the forgotten crises that don't tend to get a lot of attention. I'm thinking of Yemen. I'm thinking about the slowness of getting a peacekeeping initiative for Haiti. Sudan, for example, all the coups uh, that we've re seen across the Sahel region and West Africa recently, they're going to get uh, attention. That was Nathan King reporting from outside the United Nations headquarters. The SDG summits adopted a declaration with world leaders reaffirming their commitments to effectively implementing the 2030 agenda and its SDGs and upholding all principles enshrined in it. The leaders say poverty eradication is the greatest global challenge and an indispensable requirement for sustainable development. They have also vowed to promote a, system, a systemic shift towards a more inclusive, just, peaceful, resilient and sustainable world. UN General Assembly President Dennis Francis warned that many factors such as COVID-19, climate change and the Ukraine conflict have presented complex and intersecting crises. Despite commitments to eradicate poverty and to reduce hunger being at the core of this agenda, alarmingly, 1.2 billion people were still living in multidimensional poverty as of 2022. It is estimated that approximately 8% of global population, or 680 million people, will still be facing hunger in 2030. The leaders have further committed themselves to finding uh, peaceful and just solutions to disputes and to respecting international law and the purposes and principles of the UN Charter. As reporter Nathan King earlier mentioned, China's efforts in poverty alleviation have largely contributed to the United Nations goals. The country eradicated extreme poverty at the end of 2020, and it's now making strides in its green energy drive. China announced its ambitious dual carbon goals, aiming to peak its carbon emissions by 2030 and reach carbon neutrality by 2060. The economic regulator said last month that China's carbon emissions intensity had dropped 4.6% in the first two years of the 14th five-year plan period. Uh, the country is also home to more than half of the world's new energy vehicles. Other renewable resources being explored include nuclear and thermal energy. The historic city of Dunhuang has now become a front-runner in photo, uh, photothermal power generation capable of storing solar energy for uninterrupted power supply. Hu Chao went there and spoke to general manager Liu Fuguo at a new energy company. It boasts a massive 100-megawatt installed capacity. One special feature is the power station's use of movable mirrors called heliostats, each covering a vast area of 115 square meters. There's a total of 12,000 heliostats in this station, covering an area of 1.4 million square meters. From a bird's eye view, it resembles a blooming sunflower. These mirrors are intelligently controlled to reflect sunlight consistently toward the top of a 260-meter-high tower, where solar heat is absorbed. Through the heat-absorbing facility, solar heat is transferred to molten salt containers, allowing the energy to be stored and used for power generation. This stored energy can be harnessed to generate power even at night, ensuring a continuous 24-hour power supply. Liu explains the key differences between a photothermal power plant and a photovoltaic one. The biggest distinction between photovoltaic and photothermal power plants is that photovoltaic power generation relies on sunlight and cannot generate power at night. In contrast, a photothermal power plant can harness solar energy efficiently, supplying power when needed and storing excess energy for later use. 
Statistics from local officials show that in the first half of this year, the total installed capacity of new energy accounted for 55% of all installed power capacity in Gansu Province, marking a new record high in history. That was Hu Chao with a report about generating clean energy in northwest China. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi met his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov in Moscow to discuss bilateral ties and international affairs. The CPC foreign affairs chief said China-Russia relations have been healthy and seeing steady growth and both nations uphold independent foreign policies. He also said bilateral cooperation does not target any third party and it'll not be altered by any third party. Lavrov said Russia is willing to deepen cooperation in trade and sports as well as other areas and he also called for strengthening coordination within multilateral platforms and safeguarding the basic principles of international relations. Coming up, the U.S. and Iran complete a prisoner swap. China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. At 10 minutes past the hour. Iran's central bank chief says nearly six billion U.S. dollars of Iranian assets once frozen in South Korea have been deposited into Iranian accounts in Qatar. The release of the funds is a crucial part of a prisoner swap between Iran and the United States. U.S. President Joe Biden says five American citizens boarded a homebound plane in Doha. Iran's press TV says five Iranians held by the United States were freed and two have arrived in Tehran already. Asan Kevani spoke with political analyst Faoud Izadi about the significance of these events. Although Tehran claims the swap was basically a humanitarian move, the release of the money was a key element. The prisoner swap was happened on Monday afternoon Tehran time simultaneously with the arrival of President Ibrahim Raisi to New York to attend the annual United Nations General Assembly. Despite the deal, tensions are still high between the U.S. and Iran. A political analyst in Tehran told us although the prisoner swap would facilitate future efforts to revive the 2015 nuclear deal, the JCPOA is a complicated issue. If this prisoner exchange did not happen, then returning to JCPOA would be even harder. So I think it's a step in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that JCPOA will be revived. That's a separate issue. This comes as Iran's foreign ministry spokesperson expressed in his weekly presser that the Raisi administration has been committed to diplomacy and negotiations so far, adding that indirect meetings could take place between the Iranian and American officials in New York. If we find a diplomatic window of opportunity to remove the unjust sanctions and see all the parties, including the U.S., return to the agreement with commitment, we will take those opportunities, and direct negotiations can be held on the sideline of the U.N. General Assembly. The five U.S. citizens flew to Qatar on a chartered plane. In return, the U.S. released five Iranians, while two of them came to Iran from Qatar at their own will. Two others remained in the U.S., and the last one left the U.S. to join his family in a third country. Although many political analysts believe the revival of the JCPOA is a very difficult task, the timing of the prisoner swap plus the recent regional developments in the Middle East might give a glimpse of hope. That was Asan Kevani reporting from Tehran. Conflicting reports are coming out of Libya regarding the casualty numbers from recent flooding. The United Nations, citing the World Health Organization, has revised the number of deaths uh, at nearly 4,000, with 9,000 missing. Officials in the eastern region have maintained that the number of confirmed deaths is still over 11,000. Uh, Wanja Mungai has more on the post-disaster response in the country. 
It's now a week since floods devastated the city of Derna in eastern Libya. Many residents are still struggling to come to terms with what happened that Sunday. Ahmad Ali Kakra recalls how events unfolded rapidly on that fateful day. We were sitting with the family on the ground floor when the flood came. My sons and daughters were there and one of my sons was on my lap. My wife was also with us. When the flood came at us, my wife and children started to scream. When we went to check what the situation was, we saw the water reaching our knees. We didn't know what to do. His family lost some valuables, including cars, but he's thankful that he managed to save his wife, children and parents. Rescuers have been conducting recovery missions and retrieving corpses. More than 450 bodies were pulled out from the sea in the last three days. Ten bodies were pulled from the rubble of destroyed buildings and the operation is still going, but it's very complicated. The water from the flood washed everything away, from trees, cars, furniture, inside the houses, everything. There are many bodies underwater. The operation is complicated. There are fears that the situation could lead to the spread of diseases like cholera, even though no case has been recorded yet. Local authorities say they are isolating Dana from the rest of the country to avoid the possible spread of diseases in case of an outbreak. This comes as the Libyan Public Prosecutor's Office is conducting an investigation into how funds set aside for the maintenance of the two dams that burst near Dana had been spent in recent years. That was Ranja Mungai reporting. The UN Humanitarian Coordinator for Libya says the flood damage from Mediterranean storm Daniel in Derna is beyond comprehension. George Edgano says parts of the, the city are barely recognizable. She warns of a second crisis created by a possible disease outbreak and the threat of unexploded munitions that were dislodged during the floods. Given the nature and scope of this tragedy, we're very concerned about the health impact and the potential spread of waterborne diseases as water sources and sewer networks have been severely damaged. We're also concerned that floodwaters have shifted landmines and unexploded remnants of war, leaving displaced people at risk of injury and death. Well, the official says the search and rescue operations ongoing, but the chances of uh, finding survivors slim. Uh, teams from nine UN agencies are delivering aid and support to the affected people while preventing the spread of disease. Ganyo says the international aid effort is also underway. There are uh, many countries who have stepped up and are providing different kinds of international support. Search and rescue teams from several countries have been on the ground for several days, there are ships and planes coming in to uh, Libya to support the international aid efforts. China's announced 30 million yuan in emergency humanitarian aid. The supplies include tents, blankets, first aid kits and water processing devices at the request of Libya. School children in a Moroccan town affected by the devastating earthquake have resumed classes now in tents. Students from Al Farabi Secondary School in Amizmiz gathered at the schoolyard with their teachers to read verses from the Quran in remembrance of those killed in the quake. A principal, Hassan Koinina, says uh, all the right conditions to resume classes have been met. Tents have been set up to welcome the pupils. As you can see, the teaching staff is here and is ready to start a normal school season. Of course, there are significant challenges, but with time, we will overcome them. About half of the 450 students returned for the new season, as many families have lost their homes and are now living in makeshift shelters. The Moroccan Education Ministry says over 530 schools and 55 dorms were damaged or destroyed in three provinces strongly affected by the earthquake. Ajiba Betty, who accompanied her child to school, says the experience was catastrophic and emotionally hard on them. To be honest, it was somewhat difficult given the challenging week we've endured. And now our children are attending school in tents. This is new for us. We used to prepare our children for school, ensuring they were clean by sending them to public baths. The deadly earthquake jolted Morocco on September the 8th, killing nearly 3,000 people. The UN says around 300,000 people are likely affected by the quake.
Ukraine's filed complaints with the World Trade Organization against Poland, Slovakia and Hungary over their bans on food imports from Ukraine. The three Central European countries went against an EU decision to end the import ban. Ukraine's economy minister said it's crucial to prove that individual member states cannot ban imports of Ukrainian goods. Poland says it'll stick to its decision despite Ukraine contesting the measure before the WTO. EU countries have become a major transit route and export destination under the Russia-Ukraine conflict since it's disrupted the exports of Ukrainian grain via Black Sea ports. Bulgaria has decided to lift the ban on food imports from Ukraine, but met protests from farmers. Lawmakers approved the resumption of importing Ukrainian food products, arguing that the bans deprived the government of tax revenue and led to higher food prices. Protesters have blocked major roads and border crossings across Bulgaria to hold demonstrations. Among them is Vendislav Mitkov, chair of the United Farmers National Association. Stop Stop the imports from Ukraine. We mean wheat, sunflower, canola, all cereals, honey, absolutely everything. We want increased control and immediate payment of the European measures. Protesters are demanding the continuation of the ban on agricultural imports from Ukraine. Uh, They also include the full payment by September 30th of compensation to farmers for losses due to the Ukraine conflict. The European Commission imposed a ban on grain exports from Ukraine to five countries, uh, European countries, in May including Bulgaria, Poland, Slovakia, Romania, and Hungary. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, efforts to revive China's sluggish stock markets. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. We're at 20 minutes past the hour now. China's stock market remains sluggish nearly a month after regulators cut the stamp duty on stock trading by 50%, aiming to boost investor confidence. Experts have highlighted the short-term effects of the move, saying the positive impacts on the market from a slew of government measures to boost the economy will take time to show. Liu Jiahang has more. The latest stamp duty cut on August 28th is the first such reduction since April 2008, when Beijing slashed the stock trading levy from 0.3% to 0.1% to prop up the market during turmoil caused by the global financial crisis. Traders have noticed the change and have been adjusting their trading actions accordingly. I've been speculating on the stock market for years. And the Asian market has been consistently in an offer state, so I haven't made any transactions lately. The stamp duty card is an assurance for sure. I think I'm going to be more actively involved in trading stocks. As an investor, I can sense the government's confidence in trying to lift the stock market. But honestly, I think cutting the stamp duty is only a temporary policy. I hope to see more regulations implemented to boost the economy. The Chinese equity market is valued at 9.9 trillion U.S. dollars, serving as a barometer of consumer and business confidence. Since the Chinese economy has been struggling in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, policymakers have taken actions. However, now about one month into the stamp duty reduction, experts say the demand for a more robust policy response and hefty government spending is growing. Industry insiders believe the stamp duty cut is expected to have a short-term impact on the Chinese market. An account manager at a securities company, Sernet Yang, says market recovery requires more time and investor apprehensions are currently centered on China's economic well-being. The market performance hasn't yet shown a clear reversal. In the past, when stamp duty cuts or major policies were introduced, short-term rallies would occur. The market isn't particularly cooperative, so it will take more time for a full recovery and for investors to regain full confidence. To further boost investor confidence, China's securities regulator has moved to lower margin requirements for buying stocks to 80 percent from 100 percent. Yang says positive changes shall be seen by the year end. Looking at the trading volume, the market has actually been in a state of contraction. Previously, the potential transactions in the Shanghai and Shenzhen exchanges could reach trillions. But recently, it has been around 500 to 600 billion yuan. 
but with the economy gradually recovering and new policies being implemented, the markets should move towards stability by the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Besides the latest efforts in capital markets, the central bank also unveiled measures to bolster the economic recovery. Since August, China's cut the interest rates of medium-term lending facilities, reverse ripples, and standing lending facilities. And China's loan prime rate also saw its second decline this year. Experts believe the moves will help shore up credit demand and boost consumption and investment growth in the long term. In August, China's economic activity appeared to improve, with official data suggesting a downturn in growth began to stabilize. Industrial production rose 4.5 percent last month, gaining from the 3.7 percent increase in July. For the Beijing Hour, this is Liu Jiaheng. The emergence and advance of AI technology affects the lives of many people. They rely on AI for basic tasks such as making a phone call or turning the lights on and off. But there are disagreements over how much the, tel-、uh, the tech helps or、uh, hinders. Edith Tianshan has more. Writing emails, letters, even entire novels is just the beginning. Powerful artificial intelligence softwares can now also compose music, create videos, and complete most administrative tasks. We can see that it could also be a very powerful tool for retrieving information, making recommendations to us, helping write the first draft of an email. You know, there are many ways it could improve our lives for the better as well. There are nearly 15,000 AI startups in the United States alone as of last March, and many are already being integrated into our daily lives. We're at the very beginning of AI in the mainstream. It's only going to get better, and it already is at the stage of we're having this conversation about is it going to replace jobs? And with the new AI technology carrying out a growing number of basic tasks on our behalf, some experts agree that we may soon forget some of the skills we once considered essential. Part of a process that's already been happening with the introduction of smartphones in our lives. When I was younger, I used to have to know、uh, all of my friends' phone numbers、uh, in order to call them up if I wanted to, to communicate with them. And now I don't. I know my own phone number. I know my wife's phone number. I don't know many more phone numbers than that.、Um, and、uh, and I think that's okay. Honestly, I don't think that, you know. I, I could maybe think that it's lazy that、uh, kids today don't know phone numbers. Our brains could be getting lazier. Some say when AI is used to predict the words we're typing and even complete the rest of our sentence. But others argue that this could actually allow human minds to develop by focusing on more complicated skills and tasks as part of the natural evolution. I went to a high,、uh, a high school science fair a few years ago, and it was shocking how many people. Uh, who were, you know, ninth, tenth grade, eighth grade, even、uh, were able to have a pretty good mastery of technology and were able to do fairly sophisticated things with neural networks that I couldn't even do, probably still can't do.、Uh, and they they were not generally educated in this in like their high schools. They were going and learning this stuff on their own. So that's the big thing: is that、um, people have lots of different ways of learning. As artificial intelligence makes its way into virtually every facet of our lives, the skills we learn. And the way we learn them are bound to change. That was Edith Tianshan on the development of AI technology. A NASA spacecraft carrying samples from an asteroid named Bennu will arrive on Earth this month. Principal investigator Dante Loretta says the spacecraft found traces of hydrogen and oxygen molecules embedded in the asteroid's rocky surface.、Uh, we believe that we're we're bringing back that kind of material, literally maybe representatives of the seeds of life that. Uh, these asteroids delivered at the beginning of our planet that led to this amazing biosphere, biological evolution, and to us being here today to look back on that amazing history. Spacecraft reached Bennu in 2018, departed in 2021 on a two-year journey back to Earth. It's carrying an estimated 8.8 ounces of material collected from Bennu in 2020. It'll enter Earth's atmosphere on September 24th. China's 13th scientific expedition team to the Arctic Ocean on board icebreaker Shuilong Tube is now making its way home. The team completed all scientific research projects on the Chukchai Sea.、Uh, the members included uh, marine or the uh, members conducted marine surveys, sea ice investigations, and geological and geographical surveys during the mission.
We're at 28 past the hour. Uh, Beijing's at 15 degrees overnight. Tomorrow is sunny in 26. Chongqing has moderate rainfall in 26 this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow and 29 degrees. Last is down to 12, then showers in 22. Hong Kong's 29 tonight, then cloudy in 32 on Wednesday. Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo's overcast in 24 this evening, then a light rainfall in 22. Islamabad's down to 22, then a light rain in 34 tomorrow. Bangkok has uh, a light rain in 26 this evening. The rain continues Wednesday with a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a light rain in 26 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 22 this evening, and uh, tomorrow is sunny and 32 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Chinese Vice President Han Zheng has met with the U.S. Secretary of State and other officials on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. The U.S. and Iran have completed a long-awaited prisoner swap. And experts say it'll take time for efforts to revive China's sluggish stock markets to take effect. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come. In business, the conclusion of the 20th China ASEAN Expo. In sports, we have early action from the Hangzhou Asian Games. In culture and entertainment, the inaugural Golden Panda Awards for film, TV, documentaries, and animation. To contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, checking the day's headline news, here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Chinese Vice President Han Zhen has stressed the importance of a healthy and stable relationship between China and the United States during a meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Han is in New York to attend the UN General Assembly. He told Blinken that China's development is an opportunity rather than a challenge. The Vice President also met UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres and reaffirmed China's commitment to contributing to world peace and development. Guterres thanked China for its firm support for the UN cause. At the United Nations General Assembly, world leaders are discussing issues including development, climate and the Ukraine conflict. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres opened the Sustainable Development Goals Summit with a warning that the world is still far behind schedule. Only 15% of the targets are on track and many are going in reverse. Instead of leaving no one behind, we risk leaving the SDGs behind. So, Excellencies, the SDGs need a global rescue plan. Guterres urged countries to end hunger, switch to renewable energy, spread education and commit to gender equality. Hundreds of protesters in Libya have gathered for a demonstration at a mosque in flood-stricken Derna. A resident has called on authorities to expedite their investigation into the flood and arrest those in charge of city infrastructure. There have also been calls for the UN to set up an office in Derna for urgent reconstruction of the city and compensation for those affected by the flood. 
Two dams collapsed during Mediterranean storm Daniel, sending a wall of water gushing through Derna last week. The disaster has so far killed many thousands of people. The International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and Morocco have announced that the annual meetings of the two institutions will proceed in October in Marrakesh. Sources earlier said the IMF and World Bank were deliberating whether to go with a plan following a recent earthquake near Marrakesh that killed nearly 3,000 people. A Reuters report says senior officials made up their minds to hold their meetings according to schedule at the re- at the request of Moroccan authorities. The meeting will take place from October the 9th to the 15th, with some changes to adapt content to the circumstances. South Korean President Yong Suk-yeol has signed off on a motion requesting parliamentary consent to arrest Demo- Democratic Party leader Lim Jae-myung. Prosecutors requested an arrest warrant as the opposition leader was taken to hospital after he went on a hunger strike. Lee has been protesting the Yong government's running of state affairs for 19 consecutive days. The opposition leader is facing charges including breach of trust and bribery. India has rejected accusations from Canada that they, that they are involved in the murder of a Sikh activist who was a Canadian citizen. Canada has expelled a senior Indian intelligence official over the killing. India urged Canada to take legal actions against anti-Indian sentiment in the country. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says his government has credible information that India's government may have had links to the assassination. Hardeep Singh Nijar was a strong supporter of the independent Sikh homeland known as Kalistan. India designated Nijar as a terrorist in 2020. He was gunned down outside a Sikh temple in British Columbia in June. Peruvian President Dina Boluarte says her government has declared a state of emergency in two cities, including the capital, hit by a spike in crime. Tres. Three important points. One, this is an emergency. Three districts were declared in a state of emergency. San Juan de Lurigancho and San Martin de Porres in Lima and Talara in Piura. This is to take in a firm and determined way this frontal fight against delinquency and organized crime. Police have reported attacks in San Juan, including the throwing of a grenade into a nightclub. Crime reports to police in Lima surpassed 163 last year compared to more than 120,000 in 2021. Australia says the country is experiencing an El Nino weather phenomenon amid an unusual September heat wave. In recent days, the state of New South Wales has recorded temperatures 16 degrees Celsius above the September average. Temperatures in Sydney reached 34.4 degrees Celsius on Tuesday, just short of the all-time September record of 34.6 in 1965. Because of the intense heat in the country's southeast, authorities in Sydney have issued a total fire ban and shut down several schools. They're warning that high winds could whip up bushfires and have urged the residents to minimize the fire risk at home. More than 500 firefighters and emergency personnel were trying to tame more than 60 fires across New South Wales. And thank you very much. That was Jutian Liu with your headline update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, we have the conclusion of the 20th China ASEAN Expo. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. Around 37 past the hour. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more trade in Chinese mainland equities still hasn't really picked up. The Shanghai Composite Index ended the day pretty much unchanged, while the Shenzhen component fell by about three quarters of one percent. And foreign investors continued to net sell A-shares. Now, they'd offloaded about uh, 3.7 billion US dollars worth of stock by lunchtime. Uh, The lack of vitality in the markets is clearly of concern to the regulators. The latest idea from the CSRC is to uh, convince Chinese listed firms to pay better cash dividends. 
This uh, is not the first time that the regulator has suggested this. Uh, the CSRC has been pushing uh, for more than five years uh, for companies to lift their dividend payments. Uh, and there has been a steady increase, but the regulator now wants to be sure that companies who can pay aren't just uh, reinvesting all of their profit and uh, that no companies are paying out money that they don't have. Uh, so we'll see whether or not uh, the prospect of stable dividend income uh, can lure back some investors. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index jumped nearly four-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped around nine-tenths of a percent. The China ASEAN Commodity Trading Innovation and Development Forum has helped broker five commodity deals totaling nearly 30 billion yuan or around 4 billion U.S. dollars. The deals cover commodities including petroleum, palm oil, coal and ores. A summit focusing on industrial and supply chain cooperation under RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, has concluded in uh, Nanning. The southern Chinese city also hosted the 20th China ASEAN Expo. Supply chain cooperation between members has promoted regional economic development. Uh, Zheng Songwu has more on the effects of durian sales. A report released by the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation last week says China accounts for more than 90% of global during imports, a number that's reached 6 billion US dollars in the past two years. The price used to be about 10 to 14 US dollars per kilogram, but since May this year, it's dropped by about half, increasing the popularity of durian in China. To get a better understanding into the trend, we visited one of the biggest companies in China for Southeast Asian fruit imports, which sold 25 million durian in 2022. There are two main reasons. On the supply chain side, since China started the Belt and Road Initiative, especially the operation of the China-Laos-Thailand Railway at the new Western Landsea Corridor, it has greatly improved our transportation efficiency and lowered the cost. We now also have more seaports in southern China rather than only in Hong Kong. On the other hand, the durian people enjoyed before was mainly from Thailand. But in 2022, Vietnam also started to export durian to China, which brings about positive competition. So, since May, the price has dropped and our durian lovers have access to the fruit all year round. The durian from Thailand is transported to Chongqing by the China-Laos-Thailand Railway in only five days. This has helped Chongqing become a major center to sell and deliver durian in China. Up until August this year, Chongqing has imported 3.4 billion yuan of fruits from Southeast Asia, up 3.5% year-on-year. Among them, fresh durian was 2.6 billion yuan, an increase of 7%, accounting for 75% of Chongqing's fruit imports from Southeast Asia in the same period. Chongqing Customs is also cooperating with its counterpart in Kunming to improve the efficiency of customs clearance down to one hour. This is further accelerating the delivery of fruit from Southeast Asia to Chinese customers. That was Zhang Songwu reporting. Chinese authorities have announced fresh efforts to stabilize trade and improve the business environment for foreign companies. Uh, the governor of the People's Bank of China outlined the initiative during a meeting with representatives of international firms, including J.P. Morgan and Tesla. Authorities say the announcement aims to ensure China's market will be more accessible for foreign and er, for overseas investors. The world's largest offshore wind turbines begun operation in Fujian province. The wind farm is equipped with 11 sets of wind turbine generator systems with an installed capacity of 111 megawatts. Wang Jianbua is the manager of the power operation department of Pingtan Strait. And he says the wind farm can help reduce a significant amount of carbon dioxide emissions. With less than four months of effective construction time annually, we triumphed in the installation of two mega-capacity wind turbines, one of 30 megawatts and another of 60 megawatts, securing two world records for the lifting and installation of the offshore wind turbines with the largest single-unit generating capacity in a brief span of time. It's expected to generate around 360 million kilowatt hours annually, saving over 100,000 tons of standard coal. 
Shanghai's foreign trade registered steady growth in the first eight months of the year. Customs figures show the amount reached 2.8 trillion yuan, or roughly 390 billion U.S. dollars, and that's up nearly 4%. The city's exports rose around 5%, while imports increased by 2.8%. Shanghai's trade with the European Union amounted to 570 billion yuan, up over 7%. Meanwhile, Shanghai exported over 780 billion yuan of mechanical and electrical products, accounting for around 70% of the city's total export value. The strike by U.S. auto workers could spread to Canada. The United Auto Workers Union represents nearly 6,000 Canadian auto workers. As the UAW's strike against America's big three automakers continues, negotiators have said there were reasonably productive discussions, but an agreement appears nowhere in sight. Hendrik Cybrandi reports. In Detroit this past weekend, members of the United Auto Workers Union had a loud and clear message for their bosses. It was echoed by a prominent U.S. politician. It is time for you to end your greed. It is time for you to treat your employees with the respect and dignity they deserve. Time, they all said, to sit down and negotiate a fair contract. Existing deals for 146,000 workers at Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis car assembly plants expired last Thursday. With no new contracts, nearly 13,000 of them at three factories were ordered onto the picket lines in a targeted action. These three units are being called to stand up and walk out on strike at midnight tonight. The union is demanding a 36% pay increase over four years, roughly double what the companies are offering. No deal! No deal! Members are also calling for the end of wage tiers and better pension plans for new hires. Pretty reasonable, says President Biden. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits, including in the last few years because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices the UAW workers. Those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. Back in 2007, they gave up cost of living raises and made pension concessions to help car makers survive the Great Recession. Now they say it's time for payback for companies to share some of their big profits. Some argue the COVID-19 pandemic also upset the status quo and convinced many workers they were being taken advantage of. And when you are in the midst of a crisis where a lot of things that you took for granted have become unraveled, you also recognize that this is an opportunity to make changes, to move yourself forward. A recent deal between Teamsters and UPS may also have sent a signal to the UAW that strikes pay off. I think these workers feel that they now have as much bargaining power as they're ever going to have, and so that's why... This strike is happening now. Companies say union proposals are far too expensive, would make car makers less competitive with their non-union rivals, and that their hands can't be tied as they invest for an electric vehicle future. Workers say they're holding firm. Now it's time. We need a contract. We need one that take, takes care of the new hires. Well, I'm hoping it don't go too long. But if it do, we're just going to stand out here and fight. It's a battle, one analyst says, that each side thinks is essential to their future. Can they find a middle ground somewhere down the road? And that was Hendrik Cybrandi reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, we have early action from the Hangzhou Asian Games. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, we have Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We begin with the Hangzhou Asian Games. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the Games. With just a few days left until the opening ceremony of the Hangzhou Asian Games, the first sporting event of the competition got underway on Tuesday. China's Wang Yanwei and Li Jia won their preliminary opener at the men's beach volleyball competition in Ningbo. 
The first contest had the host country going up against a pair from Palestine, with the Chinese duo delighting the home crowd by winning 21-14-21-16. Cricket action also began on Tuesday with Indonesia's women's team beating Mongolia in the opening match. In today's Meet Asia in Hangzhou section, we take a look at the sports to be played at the Hangzhou Games. Chiju has more. The 19th Asian Games in Hangzhou will feature 40 sports, including the 28 core Olympic sports to be contested at the Paris Summer Olympics, along with a dozen other events. There are 481 gold medals up for grabs. Cricket has returned to the Asian Games after nine years of absence. Organizers have also added new events such as open water swimming and the groups competition in rhythmic gymnastics. Non-Olympic sports include wushu, sepak takraw, squash, and kabaddi. In December 2020, organizers announced that e-sports and breakdancing would be included at the Hangzhou Games. E-sports became an official competition after being a demonstration event in 2018, while breakdancing will debut at the 2024 Summer Olympics. The e-sports program at the Hangzhou Asian Games will include seven medal events and two demonstration events in robotics and virtual reality. Competitions will be held in video games, including Dota 2, EA Sports FC, League of Legends, PUBG Mobile, and Street Fighter V. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Xiju. Tyson Fury is the first target for Chinese heavyweight boxer Zhang Jilei if he beats Joe Joyce again. Chang shattered Joyce's unbeaten record with a sixth-round stoppage in April. He is now returning to London for a rematch at the AO Arena this weekend. If Chang delivers a repeat victory, then he will resume his pursuit of Fury. Talks for a world title clash for Chang were cut short when Joyce triggered an immediate rematch. In football, defending UEFA Champions League winners Manchester City will get their title defense underway this week. The citizens begin their campaign against Serbia's Red Star Belgrade. City manager Pep Guardiola believes his players cannot relax going into the new campaign. Of course, we are incredibly happy to defend、uh, this crown,、uh, but this competition don't allow you much mistakes. The success we had in group stages because at home, never miss one shot except the year against Lyon, the first game. Always we were so strong at home, make nine points to nine. And when that happens, just winning one game away, you are qualified. So, and tomorrow is、uh, the first step, and hopefully we can convince the players seriously. Always we have done it, no matter the opponent, and try to get the first three points. City will also face Leipzig and Young Boys in Group G. Manchester United defender Aaron Wan-Bissaka is said to be out for two months after sustaining a hamstring injury during their 3-1 loss at home to Brighton. Wan-Bissaka's problem adds to a growing list of injuries at United. Midfielder Mason Mount and defenders Luke Shaw and Rafael Varane are also on the sidelines. United travel to Bayern Munich for the opening Champions League Group A game before visiting Burnley in a Premier League clash on the weekend. Spain's World Cup-winning women's players don't plan to end their boycott of the national team. The news comes despite the fact that many of them have been called up for the squad by new coach Monsi Tomé. Tomé selected nearly half of the 39 players who had signed a statement refusing to play for the national team, including 15 World Cup winners. The boycott began after former Federation president Luis Rubiales refused to leave his post for kissing player Jenny Homaso on the lips at the World Cup awards ceremony last month. Rubiales eventually stepped down, and coach Jorge Vilda was fired. But the players said their demands for deep reforms and new leadership have not been met. Tomé said she decided not to call up her masso to protect her after the player was caught in the middle of the ongoing controversy. The Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have restructured his agreement, giving him 210.6 million U.S. dollars between 2023 and 2026. This deal represents the most money in NFL history over a four-season span, and the NFL quarterback's compensation for those years is now guaranteed. The Chiefs and Mahomes plan to revisit the agreement again after the 2026 season. Mahomes became the NFL's highest-paid player in 2020 when he signed a 10-year extension worth $450 million. No player has since topped that contract in terms of total value, but several quarterbacks have passed Mahomes in average annual pay. Mahomes will now average $52.6 million over the next four seasons, putting him more in line with the recent quarterback deals. And finally, South Africa's director of rugby Rassi Erasmus has shrugged off reports linking him to a role with the Ireland Rugby Football Union. The links have been made ahead of the World Cup clash between the Springboks and Ireland this weekend. 
reports that Erasmus could leave South Africa to return to Ireland and take up a high-ranking role with the IRFU intensified last week. Erasmus has reportedly been considered for the role of IRFU Performance Director, which is set to be available next year. Meanwhile, the IRFU has also moved to downplay any links with Erasmus at this time. And thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates. Coming up in culture and entertainment, the inaugural Golden Panda Awards for film, TV, documentaries, and animation. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment, Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. Sichuan is hosting the inaugural Golden Panda Awards, which will honor excellence in films, TV programs, documentaries, and animations. Renowned Chinese director Zhang Yimo is the president of the jury. 90 works from home and abroad have been nominated, vying for the top honor. Guo Tianqi earlier spoke to artists to understand why the awards have been named after China's most loved and iconic animal. The mascot of the Golden Panda Awards is a waving panda bear adorned with a golden ring, as if basking in the morning sun. In Sichuan and beyond, many artistic accolades bear the panda's name, and Chengdu-based artist Xu Liaoyuan has been involved in the design of trophies many times. The rarity and significance of pandas, globally recognized, represent a shared value. I believe that in future, panda art should explore more diverse avant-garde avenues and be open to every dimension of art. The panda's distinctive black and white form represents the traditional Chinese philosophy and practice of Tai Chi, symbolizing the harmonious coexistence of yin and yang. Such symbolism aligns with the Golden Panda Awards' mission of promoting a global community with a shared future. Meng Fanzhuo, a young animation director, breathes life into different panda images and aspires for greater success. The binding force of pandas is very strong, but they are vegetarian. This contrast is very cute, making people crazy for them. The technology of Chinese animation can now match international standards, and I definitely believe we are capable of creating world-class panda IP like Kung Fu Panda. The first Golden Panda Awards has attracted more than 7,000 films from more than 100 countries and regions, and 90 of them have been nominated. The winners will be announced on Wednesday. That was Guo Tianqi and Golden Panda Awards in Chengdu. A series of cultural activities celebrating the upcoming Mid-Autumn Festival have begun in Shanghai's Yuan Garden Malls. The activities, which are part of the ongoing 2023 Shanghai Tourism Festival, feature various decorative installations. There's also a slew of special performances highlighting traditional cultural elements. The activities are set to run till September 28th. A giant moon installation has been set up at Central Plaza to honor the full moon. This is a symbol of family reunion during the Mid-Autumn Festival. Performers dressed in traditional costumes will also present dance performances. A play about the century-old Beijing hotpot restaurant Dong Lai Shun has premiered in the capital city. From West to East tells the story of Ding De Shan, who founded the restaurant in 1903, starting from a small booth in Dong An Market. His restaurant went on to become famous for its distinctive copper pots, thinly sliced strips of mutton and sugar garlic. Over the course of its 120-year history, Dong Laishun has gone through many ups and downs reflecting the country's evolution. It has around 150 branches today. The play will begin a nationwide tour later this week. The Writers Guild of America is meeting with the major studio alliance as negotiations resume after a month-long hiatus. The union has been on strike for 140 days. The two sides last met in August and reportedly remained far apart on streaming residuals and a proposal for a mandatory staffing level in TV writers' rooms. They have made more progress on artificial intelligence regulations, though there is still disagreement about whether works by WGA writers can be used to train AI systems. 
And finally, the first Chinese cultural center in the Gulf region has begun its trial operation in Kuwait. The center aims to enhance cultural exchanges between China and the Gulf. Guests at the lunch ceremony visited the cultural center's multiple educational rooms. They were also treated to Chinese traditional music and dance performances. Chinese oil company Sinopec also held a book donation event during the ceremony. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang reporting with uh, Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing down to 15 degrees this evening. It's sunny and 26 tomorrow. Chongqing has moderate rainfall and 26 overnight. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 29. Last is down to 12 degrees, then showers in 22. Hong Kong's at 29 this evening, then cloudy in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's overcast and 24 overnight, a light rainfall Wednesday with a high of 22. Islamabad's down to 22 this evening, then a light rain and 34. Bangkok has a light rain and 26 this evening. The rain continues through the day Wednesday with a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi is going to be seeing a light rain and 26 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 22 this evening, then sunny and 32 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Chinese Vice President Han Zhang has met with the U.S. Secretary of State and other officials on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. And the U.S. and Iran have completed a long-awaited prisoner swap. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.